as Pastor Williams is honored, to him and his family, uh, to all of those who are part of the pastoral team, to all the official leadership of the church, and to all of the members of this great fellowship. Uh, it is my honor to share with you in honoring your pastor. I appreciate the emphasis of the choir reminding us that there is no friend to us like Jesus. And uh, I trust that every person present today uh, knows Jesus as your own personal friend. And if that is not the case, I trust that you'll get to know him in that manner today. This is a wonderful day for us. Let's give God some praise for what he's done in the life of Pastor Williams and in the ministry of Pastor Williams. Uh, it has been 24 years since I served here at uh, Forest, and uh, I want to thank God for the wonderful things that happened during my ministry here. And uh, as I walked in the door, uh, my mind was flooded with so many wonderful memories. I want to thank God for uh, the relationships that have been shared across the years. It's always my delight. Uh, to see you as you move about throughout our area. But I've not come today to reminisce about the past. I've come to help you celebrate the present and to thank God for what's in store for you uh, in the future. Pastor Williams is a great leader. And I thank God for the leadership that he is giving. Um... I find in him for my own ministry, inspiration and hope. And I say that because he's a young man who demonstrates his personal commitment to God. And we live in an age and at a time where it is rare, unique, and even unusual even among preachers of the gospel, to really love the Lord. And I believe that your pastor loves the Lord. And I also am convinced that he loves you. And I thank God for the relationship that you and Pastor Williams share. Before I get into the word, I want to read a letter that I came across not long ago. And there's a particular point I want to make in reading this letter. It was written by a client of an insurance company. It begins, Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for more information concerning block number 11 on the insurance form which asks for cause of injuries, wherein I put trying to do the job alone. You said you needed more information, so I trust that the following will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the date of injuries, I was working alone laying brick around the top of a four-story building when I realized that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the brick down by hand, I decided to put them into a barrel and secure the end of the rope at ground level. Went up to the top of the building, loaded the bricks into a barrel, 
and swung the barrel out over with the bricks in it. When, excuse me, then I went down and untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure the slow descent of the barrel. As you will note on block number six of the insurance form, I weigh 145 pounds. Due to my shock at being jerked off the ground so swiftly, I lost presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Between the third, second and third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This account for the bruises and lacerations to my upper body. Regaining my presence of mind, I held tightly to the rope and proceeded rapidly up the side of the building, not stopping until my right hand jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. Despite the pain, I retained my presence of mind and held tightly to the rope. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighed about 50 pounds. I again refer you to block number six and my weight. As you would guess, I began a rapid descent. In the vicinity of the second floor, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the injuries to my legs and lower body. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent, landing on a pile of bricks. This account for my sprained back and internal injuries. I'm sorry to report, however, that at this point, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. And as you can imagine, the empty barrel crashed down on me. This account for the head injuries. I trust that this answers your concern. Please know that I am finished trying to do the job alone. I read that letter because sometimes pastors can attempt to do the job alone. But gospel ministry is not a one-man job. And sometimes congregations are content to allow the pastor to try to do the job alone. And whenever pastors engage in doing this job alone, we end up with self-inflicted injuries. And I want you to be a partner and a sharer of ministry with your pastor for many years to come so that he does not injure himself trying to do the job that God has assigned him to do. I want to ask if you consider the following passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this glorious opportunity to share with this fellowship and with this pastor. We thank you, God, for his calling and gifting. We ask, God, that as we go forth with this celebration, you will bless Pastor Williams, bless Sister Williams and the Williams family, and bless this congregation, God, with joy and excitement of what you have already done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. We give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus stood to read the passage from the prophet Isaiah, he identifies for us what is known as the third person of the divine trinity, the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. In the contemporary English version of the Bible, that passage reads, the Spirit of the Lord has taken control of me. The life-giving, illuminating, animating, empowering presence and power of God is upon me. The anointing means that the human person is under the control of divine power. We must not confuse the effects of the anointing with the anointing. Sometimes what God does is so impressive to us that we have a tendency to want to uh, recapture and relive the effects of the Spirit as, simply to, as opposed to simply yielding ourselves to God in such a way that the anointing of the Holy Spirit does its own special and unique work. Occasionally, I enjoy a rerun, but I prefer season premieres. Amen. And I want you to know that we can spend our lives thinking about what God has done, and wanting to stay what, with what God has done, but I assure you it's much better to look forward to what God hasn't yet done in our lives. The Bible says that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has it entered to the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Anointing in the Bible was typically done by pouring on or smearing some oil on a person or thing being anointed. It is the act of consecration in which the person or thing is set apart for God's use. We are accustomed to making reservations. We reserve books at the library, rooms at the hotel, tickets at the show, seats on the airplane, and tables at the restaurant so that they will be available to us when we want to make use of them. God does the same thing with his anointed. He puts us on reserve 
so that we are at his disposal and his use whenever and wherever he chooses to use us. The anointing is his choosing and his using us for his glory. The text contains the word because, meaning there is a reason for which Jesus was anointed. Jesus understood that he had been chosen and sent by the Father for a particular purpose. As Jesus was chosen and sent to do a specific work in the power of the Spirit, so are we. God chooses us to carry out some assignment, to fulfill some purpose, or to complete some task. You may have been called, you may not have been called to preach as with Pastor Williams. Uh, and you may not have discovered what your calling is. I encourage you to seek the Lord and ask for guidance from your pastor and support from your church family to make that discovery. It will bless you and you will be a blessing to others by doing what God has anointed you to do. And today I want to give attention to the pastor's anointing, Pastor Williams, and to encourage the congregation to continue to pray for him, that God will use him in the anointing that God has given him, and that this church will be grateful for uh, the preacher that God has given to you. The first thing that Jesus declares about his anointing is that he was anointed, chosen and sent by God to preach the gospel. And today I want to talk to you about preaching. Now some of you know me and some of you don't know me and I see some of y'all looking at me and you still are wondering if I can preach. Well, I'm looking at you too. And I'm wondering if you can pray. Amen. If you pray with me and pray for me, I'll do a little preaching. Jesus' ministry began with preaching. After he had been tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he left his hometown of Nazareth and moved to Capernaum in Galilee. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Preaching played a major role in the ministry of Jesus. Therefore, it ought to play a major role in the life of the church. It is unfortunate that so many people have the wrong understanding of what real preaching is. For many, it has become a cheap form of Sunday morning entertainment. People go to church, pay $2, get, get greeted, seated, and treated with good singing and what they call good preaching, but go home unchanged. Yes, we sometimes choose style over substance. Uh, we like for the service to be saucy and for the preacher to be sassy. We want the sermon to be like chicken, spicy, 
But doesn't it seem strange, my brothers and sisters, that in many instances, when the preaching has been especially good, most of the listeners can't tell you one good thing that the preacher said. Nor can they tell you the difference that the preaching makes in their lives. Far too many people sit week after week under good preaching but never become good people. They continue to lie, steal, cheat, gossip, fornicate, commit adultery, bear false witness, are envious, malicious, strife-filled, deceitful, evil-minded, backbiters, violent, boastful, rebellious, unloving, unmerciful, and unforgiving. And of course, I'm not talking about anybody in here. After hearing plenty of so-called good preaching, they remain the same. But let me just go ahead, since I'm already wading in the deep end of the pool, go ahead and say that the aim of Holy Spirit anointed preaching is not to make us feel good, but it is to make us feel God. And once we feel God, amen, that has a tendency to make a difference for the good in our lives. And I might as well go ahead and say that every activity in the church ought to include some preaching. Every committee meeting, every rehearsal, every outing, every event ought to include some preaching. Now, don't, don't, don't get up and leave. I'm not talking about the fact that the preacher needs to deliver a sermon in all of those settings. But every activity ought to be in accord with and not contrary to what has been preached by Jesus his apostle, and his preacher today. Some of you are not with me yet. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can help you get there. Let's consider a few things. I want to talk about the characteristics of preaching, the context of preaching, and the content of preaching. As far as the character of preaching, the characteristics of preaching, there are several terms in the New Testament that are used for preaching. They are Caruso, Evangelizo, D'Angelo, Laleo, and Catangelo. These terms are characterized as one to herald, which means to speak in a manner that lifts up the importance of what is being spoken. The herald lifts up his voice in order to lift up the object of his speech. The herald speaks formally with gravity and authority. The herald says, hear ye, hear ye. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus would sometimes say, verily, verily, truly, truly. Friend of mine says, show enough, show enough. I say unto you. The herald is convinced of what he's talking about and speaks in a manner to convince others of the same. Preaching is to instruct. Preaching by its very nature means that something is to be imparted 
by way of instruction. Since God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways, he uses preaching to declare his mind and to disclose his thoughts to us. Note 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, through wisdom uh, did men through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those that believe. Uh, God is not limited to doing what we think he ought to do or how we think he ought to do it. In fact, uh, when we think that we have even come close to the greatness of God, he demonstrates, amen, that we are a long way off. I'm reminded of a story of some men who had become educated and well-trained, and, and uh, they had elevated themselves to a point where they got together one morning and said, you know, uh, we have really accomplished some things. And uh, I remember a time when we really needed the Lord, but we just don't need him like we used to need him. And I think we ought to let God know that we really don't need him anymore. And so they talked and they said, well, I don't know who's going who, who gonna to tell him that. And they said, well, I think all of us ought to go and tell him. So one morning they got together and they went to have a conference with God. And they said to the Lord, Lord, you've been great. You've done some wonderful things in our lives. And we appreciate all that you've done. And we want you to know how grateful we are for all that you've done. But, but we have come to a place where we can do great and wonderful things. And while we appreciate everything you've done, we really don't think that we need you anymore. God said, is that right? And they said, yes. And the Lord said, well, uh, show me what you can do. And uh, they did a few things, and God was impressed. He said, wow, that's great. And God said, well, can you do this? God walked over to the side, reached down, and took a handful of dirt rolled the dirt around in his hand, and made a man. They said, wow, God, we can do that. They walked over to the side and reached down, and God said, uh-uh, you got to get your own dirt. <laughs> there, there are some things that we need the Lord for, and sometimes we need him even when we don't think we need him. And it is through the instruction that comes from God's word that we learn just how much we need the Lord. To preach is to publish. Publishing has to do with distribution. Preaching is the means of carrying the message of God from place to place, whether that be near or far. We are distributors of the gospel in both a local and worldwide market. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The whole world needs to know who Jesus is. Songwriter said, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Everybody ought to know that he's the lily of the valley, that he's the bright and morning star. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. We need to publish the good news. 
preaching is to disclose. Romans eleven thirty three. Paul declares that, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You can't just go on eBay or Amazon.com and get wisdom and understanding. God, through preaching, imparts wonderful truths and wonderful things. Preaching is characterized by the use of an uplifted voice in order to publish the glad tidings of God's instructions to the hearer. The characteristics of preaching can be summarized by simply saying it is to thoroughly declare, to discuss, and to teach with confidence and boldness the glad tidings of the coming of the kingdom of God and salvation who can only be obtained through his son Jesus and all that pertains to salvation. I'm talking about preaching. Preaching not only, ha not only has characteristic, but it also has a context. Matthew 4, 23 and 25. It says, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and hearing all kinds, healing all kinds of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. Then his fame went out through all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. Jesus preached to a variety of people in a variety of places with a variety of problems. Nevertheless, he preached. The point is, whatever and whenever preaching is done, it is done in a particular context. Whenever there is preaching, and to whomever the preaching is done is the context. The church worships and serves in a particular context. The preaching that is done from this pulpit is in the context of this congregation and this community. That is why it sometimes seems like Pastor Williams is preaching directly to you. Because he is. God has something he wants to say to you. And Pastor Williams may not know that is you, but God knows that is you. And it may be from this pulpit or some other pulpit, but God wants us, amen, to carry the gospel forth. Uh, it may be on a street corner or a playground. It may be uh, to many and it may be to few. God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Suddenly our context is a whole lot greater than just within the confines of these walls. It includes languages and customs and conditions that require a broader understanding of the importance of the gospel uh, than just what happens in this place on a Sunday morning. We are no longer talking about preaching to the faithful few in the pew, but to every creature. That means some will not look like us, some of them will not act like us, some will not talk like us, some will not dress like us, to some, we will seem strange to them, and they will seem strange to us. But God has good news for everybody, 
and it is the same good news that we have received for ourselves. And through the anointing of Holy Spirit preaching, we can tell them what God wants them to hear. Thirdly and finally, there's the content of preaching. What does the preacher say? Jesus and his apostles preached. And the Bible says that Jesus preached the gospel, the good news. He preached repentance and he preached the kingdom of heaven. His apostles preached what he preached. <laughs> Amen. Uh, after the apostles had been jailed, beaten, and warned not to teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus, they went right back to the temple. And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. They preached the word of God. Jesus has commanded us to preach the word, to do it willingly even if it's not popular to do. Amen. We must correct people and point out their sins. But we must also cheer them up and let them know that God is filled with loving kindness, that his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. For Paul wrote to Timothy and said that the time is coming when people won't listen to good teaching. Instead, they will look for teachers who will please them by telling them only what they are eager to know. But he says, you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Just as Paul exhorted Timothy, Pastor Williams, to fulfill his ministry, I exhort you to fulfill your ministry by preaching the word. The word will keep you going when nothing else will keep you going. The word will keep you serving when those around you fail to serve. The word will keep you faithful when others become unfaithful. The word will show you how to walk and show you how to talk. The word will guide your footsteps. The word will show you how to sing and let God's praises ring. That's a poem called The Master's Search. The master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, gold would be best. The master passed on with no word at all. He looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear master. I'll pour out my wine. I'll be at your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true. And my silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide mouth and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cited the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my content so dear. Though fragile am I, I'll serve you with pride. 
and I'm sure I will be happy in your home to abide. The master came to a vessel of wood, polished and carved and solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wood bowl said, but I would rather use, you use my fruit and not for bread. The master then looked down and saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken, and helplessly it lay. No hope had this vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and to make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I will mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not a vessel with pride of itself nor one that is narrow and sits on the shelf, nor one who is big mouth and shallow and loud, nor one who displays his content so proud, nor one who thinks he can do all things just right. Then the master lifted the vessel of clay, mended it, cleansed it, and filled it that day. He spoke to it kindly. There's much work you must do. Just pour into others what I've poured into you. And that's what preaching is all about. It is telling the glad story of the gospel of our God and our Lord and Jesus Christ. We are called and commissioned by God, amen, to speak the truth always with love. And pastor, you got to preach it when you don't feel like preaching it. You got to preach it when others don't feel like having you preach it. We must tell the glad story of our Savior all the time, anytime, any place, and anywhere. We must preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must tell men, women, boys, girls about our Savior who came through 40 and two generations, lived a sinless life, bled, suffered, and died for us, was buried and rose again on the third day morning with all power in his hand. And he says to the church, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Jesus is to be preached. The story is to be proclaimed. The word is to be declared. We must tell Men, women, boys, girls, everybody that we have a Savior. I listened this morning, and you were talking about him being your friend. Is he friend to anybody today? Is he really your friend? I don't know about you, but I found a friend in Jesus. Amen. Jesus is all the world to me. Amen. If you don't have him as your friend today. I want to invite you and I want to encourage you, amen, to get to know him. He's not hard to get to know. In fact, he shows up on a regular basis, knocking on somebody's door, trying to get in and be a friend. Songwriter said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. If you don't know him today, I want to invite you, amen, in his name, to meet him for yourself. He'll do wonders. He'll make glorious changes in your life. If you will receive him as he is, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. He just didn't want, amen, to be your emergency parachute. Amen. Or your spare time. He wants to be at the very center of your life. And if you allow him to be your Lord and be your king, which means you allow him to run your life and control your life, he'll bless you in ways that nobody and nothing else can bless you. Yes, he wants to save you from past sins, but he also wants to save you from future sins. In fact, Jesus wants you to be just like him. Amen. John says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be. And if you look around this room, none of us are all that God wants us to be. But probably like me, I thank God I'm not what I used to be. He's made a change. He's made a difference in my life. And so when you look around, amen, don't judge your future by what you see around you. Amen. You, you don't see it yet. I don't see it yet. I'm glad, amen, that God has done what he's done, but he's not through with any of us yet. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when he does appear, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. And you can be in that number of persons whose lives have been changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. The pastor has given me permission to extend the invitation. I always like to extend the invitation to discipleship, which means that you become a committed learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. After years of being a Christian and years of serving the Lord, I don't know it all yet. And until the Lord comes, I don't envision ever knowing it all. But I sure do enjoy learning and living what I learn. And so I want to invite you to become a learner. Come learn about Jesus. Come learn about his purpose and plan for your life. Come learn what he wants to do in you and through you. Invitation is extended. Invitation is extended. Perhaps you're here and God has put it on your heart to become a part of this church fellowship so that you can sit under the teaching and preaching of Pastor Williams. 